0: Breyer bows to the left, cinema doesn't know what's right, and is Putin playing chicken on Kiev? Food for thought on the political junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. For president, add like to you, and me to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for
1: Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Lodge. Because they're the ones to lead
0: the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 381 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. When progressives were jumping down Ruth Bader Ginsburg's throat to have her step aside and let President Obama name her successor, the octogenarian Supreme Court justice, who had had several bouts with cancer, brushed them aside. I'm in good health, she said, and I haven't finished the job I set out to do. When her health was no longer good, the guy in the White House was Donald Trump, and Ginsburg did everything she could to stay alive until voters would hopefully put in a Democrat as president to enable her to retire. But that was not to be. She died on September 18, 2020, and Trump and the Republicans rammed through Amy Coney Barrett as her successor. RBG's stubbornness not only gave Trump a third justice, but the succession changed the trajectory of the court from 5-4 conservative to 6-3 conservative. That, in a nutshell, is why Stephen Breyer bowed to liberal pressure and called it quits. The tenuous Democratic majority in the Senate has a good chance of becoming Republican in this year's elections, and we know, because he told us, that a majority leader Mitch McConnell would never allow a vote on a Biden justice should the GOP take over. We couldn't believe it when McConnell refused to allow a vote on Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, in 2016 with his straight-faced cockamamie justification. Now anything goes. The only way to make sure the 83-year-old Breyer could be replaced by a much younger liberal justice was for Breyer and the Dems to act now while they still have the majority. Compared to the other kind of politics we're witnessing, the destruction of the Supreme Court in terms of civility is fairly new. Democrats still rue the filibuster the GOP and Southern conservatives put on Lyndon Johnson's nominee, Abe Fortas, in 1968, and Republicans remain furious at the tactics Democrats and the left used against Robert Bork in 1987. But for the most part, those were exceptions. Think of the votes in the Senate for confirmation of some of the more ideological nominees. Antonin Scalia, the conservative President Reagan put up in 86, confirmed by a vote of 98 to nothing. When President Clinton nominated the liberal Ginsburg in 1993, the vote was 96 to 3. But then it got worse. Both of Obama's nominees got more than 30 no votes each. And with Democrats livid at the treatment received by Merrick Garland, all three of Trump's nominees got more than 45 no votes. It is possible, though not probable, that Breyer's successor, whom Biden promises will be a black woman, could be confirmed on a 50 50 vote. Once upon a time, it didn't matter which party the president belonged to or which party controlled the Senate. Those days are long gone. that Justice Breyer would have been happy to continue his service on the Supreme Court, which began in 1994 when he was appointed by President Clinton. But the left was fearful of a repeat situation similar to what happened to Ginsburg, a death or a vacancy under a Republican president, or at least with a Republican Senate majority. And so on Thursday, President Biden thanked Justice Breyer for decades of public service.
2: His legacy includes his work as a leading scholar in jurist and jurist in administrative law, bringing his brilliance to bear to make government run more efficiently and effectively. It includes his stature as a beacon of wisdom on our Constitution and what it means. And through it all, Justice Breyer has worked tirelessly to give faith to the notion that the law exists to help the people. Everyone knows that Stephen Breyer has been an exemplary justice. Fair to the parties before him, Courteous to his colleagues, careful in his reasoning, he's written landmark opinions on topics ranging from reproductive rights to health care, to voting rights, to patent law, to laws protecting our environment and the laws that protect our religious practices. His opinions are practical, sensible and nuanced. It reflects his belief that a job of a
0: judge is not to lay down a rule, but to get it right, to get it right. This is one of the stories where nobody will bring you better insight than Robert Barnes. He covers the Supreme Court for The Washington Post and joined us now to talk about what changes and what it gives Biden and the Democrats after three frustrating Trump court picks. Bob, it's great having you back on The Political Junkie. Thanks for having me, Ken. Well, usually a cha- change in the court, say a retirement, comes at the end of a term in June. This one came in January. Explain the timing of Breyer's announcement.
1: Well, uh, I don't know exactly why he did it this, but I do know that the White House had been sort of looking for it. Um, They thought that this time of year might be right. You know, the court has now um, accepted all of the cases it will hear for the current term. It finished that up uh, at the uh, end of last week. And so it may be that now that the term is set, uh, Justice Breyer decided, it was time to uh, go ahead and announce his intentions.
0: Well, I mean, I, so my understanding is thats is that they're going to hope to get a vote shortly after the term ends, maybe, you know, July, August, September, something like that, certainly before the Republicans take the majority in the Senate, which is certainly possible in this year's midterms, right?
1: Well, you're certainly right about that. I think there's no doubt that uh, Justice Breyer retired now because there is a Democratic president, because Democrats uh, have this sort of tenuous hold on uh, controlling the Senate uh, uh, Mitch McConnell has said that if Republicans take over the Senate, he wasn't really committing to take up taking up a a Supreme Court nominee from President Biden, and so there were a lot of reasons that uh for Justice Breyer to go ahead and do it now uh you know the the vote could come even before. Uh, the term is over. Justice Breyer has said that he will retire at the end of the term, assuming that his replacement has been nominated and confirmed by then.
0: Has there ever been a Supreme Court confirmation vote in a tied 50-50 U.S. Senate? You know,
1: not that I know of. Uh, Certainly the votes have been very close before. Um, But, you know, we're also at at a very different time, uh, that there is no filibuster uh, any longer for Supreme Court uh, nominees. You know, it used to be that you uh, would have to get sort of 60 votes to move forward on one of these nominees, even if the final vote didn't end up that way. And so there was, you know, more of, uh, I guess we could say a consensus candidate, or at least Uh, a feeling in the Senate that they ought to get to a vote. Uh, We have seen in the last few years that that's
0: no longer there in the Senate. Yeah, you know, you talked about um, what the Senate, the current Senate, looks like compared to the old days. I mean, and you and I were talking about this before the interview started. Take a look at, at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia, pretty much, I don't know, pretty much the pure definition of liberal and conservative. And yet, Only three senators, I mean, just I think of this all the time, three senators, only three senators voted against Ginsburg in 1993, and zero, zero senators voted against Scalia in 1986. I mean, that was a different Senate back then, and there's nothing close to what we have now.
1: It was a very different Senate. You know, it's funny when I did a profile of Justice Ginsburg once, she showed me that she carries uh, some keys on a Strom Thurmond keychain <laughs> uh, that Strom Thurmond used to give out to constituents. And she got one because he was one of her supporters uh, for confirmation, if you can imagine.
0: And that's something. Um, do you agree with my assessment that that had Ginsburg not died in office, there wouldn't be all this, that pressure on Breyer to step down. I mean, that that was hanging over his decision, wasn't it?
1: Well, I think that example w- was huge uh, for him and for a lot of others about what happens uh, if you stay on too long. And, uh, you know, there, there's just sort of no way to, um, uh, to think otherwise. Uh, I mean, remember this this change, this uh, nomination of someone to replace Justice Breyer, is not going to change the court. Uh, It will be one uh, presumed liberal for another, and there are only three liberals now on a court with a supermajority of conservatives. So, uh, you know, it's hard to think uh, of very many decisions and rulings that will change because someone other than Justice Breyer is there. But it does maintain that three-member uh, uh, liberal minority, uh, which certainly could have shrunk if uh, if Justice Breyer um, had died in office. It, when all of us were trying to get Justice Breyer uh, in the fall to talk to us about his retirement plans, he was promoting a book, and so that's one of the few times uh, reporters can easily get interviews with Supreme Court justices. Uh, the one constant, he said, was he didn't intend to die in office, uh, even though he didn't know when he was going to retire. I think
0: even then, he had a pretty good idea that it was going to be this term. Was the pressure on him from the left, uh, was it unseemly? I mean, did did Bryant deserve a better a better fate Well, I've never, uh,
1: you know, it's not for me to judge that, but I can tell you I've certainly never seen anything like it. Uh, You know, there were just so many calls uh, from interest groups, uh, from op-ed columnists, uh, from sort of liberal commentators on the court uh, urging him to leave now. Uh, I've really never seen anything like it. We've certainly never seen anything like we did Uh, earlier when a truck was circling the Supreme Court with a huge sign calling on him to resign. Uh, When I asked him about that, he just sort of smiled and said that he wasn't at the court that day.
0: And also we're talking about about fate. I mean, for his part, uh, President Biden's fate was sealed when, you know, during the debate, his final debate with Bernie Sanders in 2020, he pledged to name an African-American woman to the Supreme Court.
2: I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, we'll be a, I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now. It's long overdue. Uh,
1: yes, he made that pledge um, and he has uh, stuck by it. He reiterated it again yesterday. There has been criticism of him for, uh, for making such a pledge, saying that it was in effect a quota Um, but uh, his argument is that it's, as he put it, long overdue. Uh, There have been 108 white men who have served as Supreme Court justices, uh, two black men, only five women, and no African-American woman. And so uh, just as he has in filling lower court uh, judgeships, um, President Biden has really made an effort to uh, promote black
0: women. When you say that your choice is going to be a black woman, uh, obviously, you know, unlike the guessing games of the past where you have a list of 50 people, there really isn't that big of a, of a list of potential successors, you know, that jump out of people. I mean, I mean, my list and my list begins and ends with uh, Gitanji Brown Jackson. What, what does your list look like? Well,
1: I think that there are three uh people uh, who are being very seriously considered, and a few others who are out there. Um, you know I always have to remind my editors that uh, the Supreme Court doesn 't pick uh, the Supreme Court nominee the White House does right. uh, and that 's not my expertise, but I certainly think uh, that two others uh, besides Judge Jackson. Uh, is Leandra Kruger, who is a justice on the California Supreme Court, a former uh, Department of Justice lawyer, someone uh, who has argued before the Supreme Court 12 times and is uh, very well thought of in appellate circles uh, in D.C. I think that she is there. And uh, Representative Clyburn has really been pushing a judge from South Carolina named Michelle Childs, uh, who... um, is a favorite of his, and he says, would really be sort of a different kind of uh, justice for the court because she didn't go to an Ivy League uh, law school. Uh, and, you know, there's only one justice on the court right now, Justice Barrett, who went to Notre Dame, who fits
0: that now. There are some people, I mean, probably some people who know better, but they're saying that that Biden owes Clyburn for because you know Clyburn basically rescued his presidential candidacy prior to the South Carolina primary in 2020.
1: Yes, and uh you know he could also argue that Judge Charles is now uh being nominated for the uh US Court of Appeals for the DC Circuit, which is sort of often referred to as the second most powerful court. Um, that was not something uh, that was foreseen. People thought if she was going to be moved up, it would be to the Fourth Circuit. Um, and so you might argue that he has already sort of made good on uh, on that debt with this nomination and By the way, the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee will be hearing her uh, will be holding a hearing on her next week.
0: So I started off this list by mentioning uh, Judge Jackson. Uh, what can you tell me about her?
1: Well, um, she is uh, well thought of. She is uh, has Ivy League credentials, like most of the justices, as I mentioned. Perhaps uh, even more importantly, uh, she is a former clerk to Justice Breyer, so there would be some, uh, you know, uh, symbolism there. Just as uh, Justice Kavanaugh replaced the man that he had clerked for on the Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy. Uh, She has been a district judge for a long time and has just been moved up uh, during the Biden administration to the uh, D.C. Circuit. So she has already been uh, through the Senate confirmation uh, process recently, and she even drew a few votes from Republicans.
0: You mentioned in passing uh, that, you know, getting rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees for justices has benefited Trump's three choices of right, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and, and Coney Barrett. Democrats couldn't block them. But but by the same token, Republicans can't filibuster Biden's choice either, correct?
1: That's right. Uh, the filibuster is out. Um, the, uh, there's a little bit of a worry for Democrats in that Uh, because of this evenly divided Senate. The Senate Judiciary Committee is evenly divided. Uh, As you might remember, uh, some of the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee tried to deny or delay uh, hearings on some of Trump's nominees by denying the committee a quorum uh, to hold business. Um, But, you know, that would be at the committee level, not once uh, there are ways to get it to the Senate floor
0: for a vote I've gotten some emails from nervous progressives worried about what Joe Manchin and Kirsten cinema might do. They may have blocked much of the president's domestic agenda, but they but they also vote for all of his court nominees, don't they so it's That's not right yeah, they're not mm-hmm. obstructionist and just to be obstructionist no uh you know the uh, both
1: of those have been big supporters of the president's judicial nominees. There are a lot of senators in both parties who sort of think, you know, this is just one of the spoils of getting elected, that you get to decide who you want to put on the court. Uh, And uh, I think that uh, Senator Manchin said the other day, you know, he's sure that whoever is uh, nominated is going to be more liberal than he is, but that doesn't bother him because that's not a high bar. Uh, And so, uh, so far, there's been no signal that there would be uh, a problem with the Democratic senators. But, you know, we also
0: don't have a nominee. That's true. And uh, and there's always talk about possible Republican votes. Susan Collins' name has been mentioned, Lisa Murkowski, who's up for re-election this year. That's a possible—and basically, Lindsey Graham, who always says—sometimes he'll say nice things and then, you know, vote completely differently. But he did indicate that he said, look— Elections matter. And, you know, when you have a president and a Supreme Court justice, uh, the fact that he or she is in the White House, that makes a big difference.
1: Uh, that's right. And and Senator Graham voted for both of President Obama's uh, nominees, uh, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan.
0: There's something that hits me as sad is that the only thing that people thought of in recent years when they heard the name Stephen Breyer was that You know, he had better step down while Biden is still president. Could you just sum up what Breyer's years and what he meant to the court?
1: Yeah, I mean, he has been a very uh, reliable vote on uh, liberal issues uh, such as voting rights, affirmative action, uh, abortion, uh, Obamacare. Uh, You know, he has been slightly more moderate. He certainly was more moderate than um, Justice Ginsburg was, but but he was a consistent uh, liberal voice on the court. He was also one uh, that was there for compromise. You know, he was uh, incredibly close and talked often about Justice O'Connor and her sort of pragmatic approach and the need for compromise uh, in these. Uh, he was very well liked by his colleagues because. He is funny and has a bit of the sort of absent-minded professor uh, <laughs> a bit about him, um, but, uh, you know, is a very sort of nice person. And uh, if you uh, look at some of the things that his colleagues said about him yesterday, each of the justices and the retired uh, justices um, wrote something about him and put it on the court's website, you know, they were very fond uh, and nice uh, memories of serving with him. And remember, they're they're not done yet. Uh, There are still cases to be heard, and there are still decisions to be made, uh, you know, before the end of June.
0: Robert Barnes covers the Supreme Court for The Washington Post. Bob, thanks so much for making time uh, in your busy schedule for this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ken.
1: You want to stay? Whoa, don't you
0: want to stay? That's what the future would be. Don't you want to stay? That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. And there is a new newsletter slash podcast slash dessert topping slash floor wax that Carrie Miller of Minnesota Public Radio and I are starting up this week. Hopefully, it will be filled with the kind of antics Carrie and I were known for for years on NPR. Sign up and check it out today at button.substack.com. Political Junkies made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Stay warm and stay safe. I'll see you soon. That's what-